0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together.
1: This is a glorious day for the church. This... Just think about a year ago. Not being able to gather, not being able to gather to celebrate the King. King lives. Easter Sunday, the Resurrection Sunday, it's the pinnacle of our year because the sorrow of the cross was transformed into an unquenchable joy because of the victory of the empty tomb that first Easter Sunday. But without the cross, we don't have the resurrection. The resurrection, listen carefully to this, the resurrection is not how we can just have better lives. The resurrection is not just metaphorical of how your life can improve because There was the resurrection, and Christians have this, and other religions have that. The resurrection is about having what we can't earn, we don't deserve, and it's about having new life. There will be a lot of messages given today that will be self-help messages rooted in the theme of the resurrection. But they're not the gospel. Therefore, they're no help. They diminish the glory of what God in flesh did for sinful humanity. When you try to put the burden on, save yourself. Here's seven helps that can come to you out of the resurrection. No, it's one rescue of a redeemer. Paul understood this when he wrote to the Corinthians, the church that he loved. First Corinthians 1.18, he said, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There are so many people that this message is just a waste of time. It's foolishness. But to us who know Christ, it's everything. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 Paul said to them, he said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He just handed it on that Christ. Here's the gospel. He died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel. This morning, our text is in Luke 24. The title of the message, the Savior King, lives. Jesus had celebrated the final necessary Passover on Thursday evening with his disciples. There he unveiled to them what the whole process, the whole Passover for all of those years coming out of Exodus was all pointing to the coming Christ. The sinless Lamb of God, no broken body, no broken bone in his body. And when he said, this is my body, which is broken for you, they didn't quite grasp it. This is my blood. They didn't quite grasp that until after they watched him be crucified, his blood shed, his body shredded. And then he rose again. The spirit came and they did what you and I have done so many times when we learned something that we should have heard and understood the first time. And we say, oh, that's what he was saying. He was so patient. Listen to the way that John Piper describes the centrality of Christ and his cross. For every church, for every Christian, for every disciple. He says it this, and this is in his book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says it this way Christ is the glory of God. His blood soaked cross is the blazing center of that glory. Because of Christ's cross, God's elect are destined to be sons of God. Because of his cross, the wrath of God is taken away. Because of his cross, all guilt is removed and sins are forgiven and perfect righteousness is imputed to us. And the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. And we are being conformed to the image of Christ. A cross-centered, cross-exalting, cross-saturated life is a God-glorifying life. The only God-glorifying life. All others are wasted. That is a powerful quote. Are we living a life that glorifies God? Do you ever want to forget the tragic things that have happened in life. There are times when you'd like to just put that out, whatever that may have been, whatever that hurt was, whatever that sorrow was, and we just kind of want to move on and just get beyond that. I think we can all say, yeah. But we can't come to Easter morning without the cross. So just Think about what Jesus did as we see this passage unfold. Beloved, this is a reality that has been in place ever since Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden in Genesis 3. We suffer, we lose, we die. And God began in Genesis 3 to reveal his plan of redemption. God did not shut his eyes to our suffering. God did not run away from our suffering. God became a man and entered into our world, and he embraced suffering. Just think about that. Whenever you're tempted to say, why me? What did I do wrong to deserve this? What did Jesus do wrong? Let that truth reside in your heart and it brings forth hope. He suffered on our behalf and he made a way for our redemption, for our reconciliation to a holy God. In Luke 24, the final chapter of the Gospel of Luke, in one chapter, Jesus closes out part one of his story, Acts we were in last Sunday with Christian McNeely, that's part two, and Luke gave both. Part one, part two. Luke is his ministry on earth, and Acts is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' spirit on earth, and the church. And in one chapter, he moves from the events of resurrection morning all the way, he spans above 40 days as they're waiting on the, on, on the, on the Spirit, the promised Spirit to come, in one chapter. He covers all of these events. The suffering, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus are central. He doesn't eviscerate that from Luke 24. He doesn't say, whew, enough of that already. Let's just focus on the positive. It will keep coming up in Luke 24. What we cannot move beyond and we are never to live beyond the shadow of the cross. Because the gospel changes everything. Now, in Luke 24, we're going to be looking at, here's a question, what kind of people? Who are these people that the Lord would entrust the mission of the church to?
0: Are they amazing
1: people? Are they superstars? What kind of people are these? We're going to observe them. To whom did God entrust the mission of the church? And then we're going to ask this question and we're going to answer it in this message Luke does for us. What changed them? What transformed them? What happened to them? Something happened. And it would have never happened if Jesus' body would have been stolen, if he wouldn't really have died and he just disappeared, the swoon theory, and they, were, they brought him back and they just disappeared these followers would have never followed a liar. Something happened to them, and we're going to see what happened. First of all, we look at a group of women. The women were dumbfounded. Luke 24, the women that we meet, they were the first of Jesus' followers on the scene of the empty tomb. They came early in the morning. It was great being out there this morning as we were waiting on the sun to rise. People coming from all different directions. These women would have been coming from all different directions. Mary Magdalene was the first on the scene. But they were dumbfounded. Understand, they didn't know what had happened with the guards. They didn't know that the Roman guard was supposed to be there and it was all sealed up and their only concern was the way they left it, how are we going to get the stone away from that door? They didn't know of any of the other events and they came bringing something they didn't expect to find Jesus alive. They came bringing spices. Luke 24, verse 1, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Now here's the gospel that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. What do we see about these women, these dumbfounded women? As they come, they're on the garden, they're at the garden, they arrive on the scene and it doesn't look anything like what they expected to see there. These women lacked understanding. They were taking great risks to, to visit that tomb. They would be associating themselves as followers of Jesus Why would they go? Why would they do this? They were compelled to go out of love. And they went to that place to care for Jesus' body. They expected His body to be there. They weren't super spiritual. Oh, let's get there and and let's meet Jesus when He comes. They expected His physical body to be there. They arrive and the stone is gone. The Roman soldiers are gone. They didn't even know they were there. They don't know what's happening. They thought their number one problem that morning was, how are we going to get the stone away from the door? How are we going to do this act of worship, this act of devotion, this act of love? How are we going to do this? I don't know, but we're going to be near and we're going to figure it out. Women are often very good at that. We'll just figure it out. Let's get there. Where are the guys? This is amazing. They needed reminding, though. They lacked understanding. They needed reminding. They arrive. There's nobody there. According to the Old Testament, there needed to be two witnesses to verify anything to be true. There are two heavenly witnesses, they're angels. And there they are announcing to the women the resurrection. The women are frightened. They're scared to death, this dazzling apparel. They can't even hardly open their eyes. These heavenly messengers are there. The question is posed to them why do you seek the living among the dead? They're trying to get their minds wrapped around what are you talking about? Where is his body? Living. The explanation from the angels enlightened them. He's not here, he's risen. This is irrefutable evidence. It's the ev- evidence of the empty tomb. All that the Roman leaders needed to do, all that the Jewish Sanhedrin needed to do was present the body. That's it. Present the body, and Christianity is done and it. it never even makes it to the point of receiving the name Christianity. And don't think that they wouldn't have done it if they had if they could have found the body. They began spreading rumors and lies. This is the evidence of the empty tomb. The reminder from the angels instructed them, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? Do you remember what he told you? Just going back to Luke chapter 9, their minds were reminded, Luke 9, 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Read that last part with me. And on the third day be raised. And they were just like us. Uh, where would you say we're eating at today? Yeah. Who's the greatest? I thought I was the greatest. I thought I, you know. They weren't listening. So if you struggle with listening, men often, you know, wives are like, you don't listen. You're in good company. Luke 18, that wasn't the only time that Jesus told them this. Luke 18, beginning at verse 31, and taking the 12, he said to them. He just breaks it down. I mean, you can't even do this better if you're a coach on a whiteboard for your team. Here's the plan. Peter, pay attention. John, wake up. Here we go. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. All right, we're with you, Lord. And, after, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Uh, what does this look like? For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will what? Rise. But they understood none of these things this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what, he's, what was said. Huh? Don't you love when you talk with your kids? You're like, okay, so here's what we need to do. And you go through that, that marvelous preparation speech that you had for the plans of the, the whatever, and they say, huh? What? Oh, you're killing me. I, I couldn't hear you. Oh, yeah, okay. This is the disciples. Huh? What? I mean, he's given them the detailed... They're going to spit on me. They needed reminding. And aren't you thankful the Lord is patient and he sends reminders? Some of us need more than others. So what did they do then? They told others their story. They had a story to tell. They had a message to deliver. And here's the thing... In the first century, in the in that time period, the testimony of women were not, you couldn't even bring it in court. This is no human message. This is a divine message. And the Lord has a way of saying, Oh, really? Watch how I do this. You think that women are diminished and dismissed? They're the first ones on the scene. If you were trying to just put forth a credible message that you hoped people would sign on to and buy into. You would not have women, especially women like Mary Magdalene, be your first eyewitnesses. And the Lord says, watch what I do. You think he can't use you because of where you've been and what you've done? You don't understand your Bible yet. Read it again and ask the Lord to open your eyes to understand the love that he has for you. Amen. This is so good. So they go back, they tell their story in verses 9 and 10. And then in verse 11, we find the apostle saying, I told you he would rise. I knew this would happen. Strike up the band. He ran out of the grave and let's run and check it out. No. No, I was like, man, that's, that's fiction. That's an idle tale. It was as if the women had started with once upon a time in a land far, far away. We, like, they just thought this is a nice story. Jesus told them everything that would happen and they were so dull and so slow and so hard of heart that they were nowhere to be found even when someone smacked them in the face with the truth and the testimony. And Peter's like, let's go check it out. And the Gospel of John says that John went with him. Peter was a faster runner. John went right by him and went right into the tomb. Found those grave clothes there. That napkin, the face covering folded. Not not stolen away, not a scene of a fight and wrestling. This was, he resurrected and he took that covering and he folded it and said, Right on time. It is finished. So the next section, we see two disciples. These two, these disciples we meet here in verses 13 to 35 are absolutely discouraged. Okay, so the women, they're dumbfounded. I mean, you really want that on your office door? Come on in, dumbfounded guy. He works in here. Oh, hey, I was, you know, especially if you're a financial advisor, right? Dumbfounded, Inc., you know, LLC, dumbfounded R us. Well, the next one is Discouraged. These two are discouraged. They're they're downhearted. They're depressed. They're walking home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven mile walk. It's a little further than Memphis from here. They're on a walk. What do we see about these individuals? First of all, they lacked comprehension. This is is like totally describing me when it comes to studying in school and all that growing up. I'm I'm just repeatedly in here in this sermon. They lacked comprehension. Verses 13, 14, and 15. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Shows up. They lacked comprehension. They didn't understand anything. They can't make sense of anything that has happened that day. And not one of them said, Do you remember? Jesus did tell us this would happen. They lacked comprehension. They lacked recognition. Jesus shows up. He's walking with them. This is almost humorous. Hey guys, what are we talking about? Verse 16. They lacked recognition. Jesus is walking with them. And this is such, this is amazing. They're asking the only person who actually knew everything that went on in Jerusalem, in heaven, and everywhere else. He knew everything that happened. And they're saying, don't you know what happened? Are you the, but listen, Luke's careful Everybody in Jerusalem knew what happened. They're stunned. How did you come walking out of Jerusalem and not know what just happened in that city? Everybody knows what happened in that city. And you don't know? They're saying to Jesus, well, we'll help you out. They instructed the teacher. That's a good start, isn't it? Let's help you out. You ever done that? Try, try to tell somebody something and then they say, Oh, I know, a, you know. I mean, this would be like me trying to give somebody advice about how to fix a car. First of all, don't ever take any advice that I would give to you about fixing a car because I don't know much of anything except what I learn. But if I was to tell somebody, And, you know, here's this GM and here's this and that. And then they just look at me and say, actually, I'm an engineer and I designed that car. (laughs) Oh, maybe I should just dismiss myself quietly. Is there anything you want to tell me about that car? I'll just shut up now. Okay, here they go. And they're telling Jesus, well, we'll bring you up to speed. Verses 19 through 24. And he said to them, what things? Oh, he's so kind. I, I wouldn't do that. I'd be like, oh, let me tell you. Jesus just says, let's, let's talk about this. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Here's the gospel.
0: But we had hoped. That Thank you again for listening to, to Teaching from the Word at yes. Grace and Community Church. All this, it's we are located now the third in Richmond, day. Michigan. You can find us online moreover. at mygracechurch.com. So
1: women of our company Please subscribe us.
0: and follow us at mygracechurch. It would in the be morning. greatly appreciated we were, if you would take a moment to rate and, like, when they did not and share this message. Body, that's what they we want you for. to always remember they had even seen a vision
1: of angels. Who said that he was alive? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but here's the problem but him they did not see. Huh. You don't say. They didn't see him. No, they didn't see him. We see Jesus' identity. They know about the betrayal and condemnation of the religious leaders, putting them over into the hands of the Romans. And they mention in verse 21 all of their unfulfilled hopes. We thought he was going to redeem Israel and we were going to be done with being under oppression. Oh, he's a redeemer, all right. They were all confused about the events that happened on that first Easter Sunday. Even by being told what happened by the women, they still didn't understand Jesus loved them, though. He loved them, and he taught them. He loved them, he tenderly rebuked them, and then he patiently taught them. I wish that could be said of me always as a father. I love them at times, need to rebuke, and then teach them in love. And in this section, he begins to preach himself from the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell us about the coming Messiah? Verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, here's the, this loving rebuke. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? Remember I asked you the question, don't you want to forget all those bad things that have happened in life and the suffering and the bad things? Do you hear it it. just keeps coming up? Because we need to remember why. Why did He suffer? And beginning, verse 27, with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This message from the Old Testament, Jesus is saying, it's all about me. Old Testament and New Testament, it's all about Jesus. He preached the greatest unrecorded message ever given on earth. We don't have a record of it. Luke sums it up in those verses. There it is. He started in Genesis, went all the way through to the end of the Old Testament and said, you remember this? That's the Messiah. Remember this? Messiah. Remember Exodus? Messiah. He went through every book and said, all of that is pointing to Messiah, Messiah. Jesus, we've been studying this in the Sermon on the Mount. He came to fulfill, not destroy the law and the prophets. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and then enter into his glory? Jesus was again telling the story of redemption. He was telling the gospel that you, you can't save yourself. You need a savior that he lived the sinless life that you cannot live, I cannot live. He died the death that I deserve to die, and he was raised to life, defeating the enemy that we have no hope against. If you die unprepared, you, you cannot win. But if you die clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the grave cannot win. That's how we can sing, I ran out of that grave. When, when does that happen? The moment your eyes are open and you see how good and glorious Jesus is, and you give him your life. The entire Bible is all about Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus was in the presence of his enemies and he, he was teaching. And in John 5 and in verse 39, he said this to them: You search the scriptures. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What's he saying? The same thing that he's preaching in Luke 24. You're studying your Old Testament. It's all telling you of me and you will not come to me. And the only way that you can have life that never ends is to come by faith to Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins so they arrive at Emmaus, and they get to this house. They get to the place where these disciples were walking. And, and in verse 28, they have interaction there. So they drew near to the village, because Jesus broke bread there. Then he suddenly just leaves them. They drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, all right, a forcible, saying, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus broke bread with them, their eyes were opened, and then he vanished. He was gone. Vanished from their sight. His resurrected body is different. Their eyes finally, they, they recognize this is Jesus. Imagine how they felt. I just told him. What, why didn't you tell me to stop talking? <laughs> oh, I didn't know. There are... Their hearts were opened. Their eyes were opened. They saw Christ in all of the scriptures. That's what preaching is to do. Preach Christ and God does a divine supernatural work. He opens blind eyes. Preach the cross and the resurrection. These disciples, they just just couldn't believe it. They weren't hungry anymore. Don't you want to just see how that unfolded around that table? Stay with us. Okay, I'll stay with you. All right, let's eat. And they get it around the table. And then Jesus just takes the bread and he breaks it. And then suddenly their eyes are open and they're like, we've seen this before. I've seen this before. Oh. <laughs> and then he's gone from sight. And they're looking at each other thinking, what do we do now? Seven miles, it was a droopy walk all the way, right? How long did it take them to get from Emmaus back to Jerusalem? How motivated were they that now they saw the resurrected Christ? They have that message reverberating in their heart. They're never the same again. And now it's all coming online. Now it's beginning to make sense. And they make their way back, filled with joy, back to Jerusalem to tell their story of the risen Savior King. Are you seeing a reoccurring theme here? If you meet the Savior King alive, can you really keep it silent and keep it to yourself? No way. So they meet the 11, they come back to Jerusalem. There's the 11 in verses 36 is where it begins. The 11 were filled with doubt. This is the dream team, gang. We've got the dumbfounded. We've got the discouraged, depressed too. You know, just down, down in the mouth. And now we get to the, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, he chose me. And what is it Peter and James and John all filled with? Doubt. You seeing anybody here in this story you can relate to? All of them. Exactly. Where do we find the mighty disciples of Jesus? It was just hours before. Oh, they'll all deny you, but not me. Jesus, you can count on me. Well, where are they now? Now we're into the evening. They're all gathered behind locked doors. They weren't at the garden and they aren't anywhere else singing, you know, he is risen. They're afraid and they're behind locked doors. They're paralyzed with fear. This is who the Lord chose. They're paralyzed with fear when Jesus showed up. He didn't find them waiting. Oh, he'll be here anytime. He'll be here anytime. They're behind locked doors waiting on at any moment somebody to find them and drag them outside the city and give them the same faith that was given to their master. Their hopes are gone. Three years of their life gone. Gone. Now it appears to be a waste. And there they are waiting. And these disciples show up. They're paralyzed. Verses 36 and 37. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, you idiots. <laughs> no. No. I chose you? No. Shalom. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw. It's a ghost. It's a spirit. After all of the events of Resurrection Day, that's what they come up with. That's what they said when Jesus was walking on the water. Oh, it's a ghost of Captain whoever, you know, whatever. They're paralyzed with fear and Jesus is right there in the midst of them. He didn't use the door. He's in a resurrected body. Peace to you. They got to examine Jesus' resurrected body. Now they all become eyewitnesses. And he said to them in verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? That's my verse right there. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it. And ate before them. There they are, the eyewitnesses, and they examined his body. He spoke words of peace. They heard his voice. Notice all of the senses. For someone to be an eyewitness, did you see it? Do you understand what happened? And then he allowed them, "Come here. You see my hands? They saw his body, he still, the revelation tells us, he still bears those marks in his body of his crucifixion as a lamb slain. They look at his feet, where that nail pierced his feet, holding him on the cross. And he says, come, come, look at me. Look at the side where the spear was placed in me, fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy. And then he says, hey, you got any food here? Oh, here's some fish. Can you imagine? Isn't that kind of a bizarre question? Resurrection and got any food? And somebody hands Jesus a piece of fish and he just takes it. Begins to eat. And they're just watching and they're amazed. Luke what loves that word, thamazo, amazed, marvelled, can't believe, over the top, can't no words can describe what we're experiencing here. All of their senses, they heard his voice, they saw him, their hands handled him. Not a passing touch, they they touched his body. Investigation That's what it would take for them to lay their lives down. When the elder John, the apostle of love, writes later in life, listen to how, uh, as, as the letter, the epistle of 1 John opens, he says this, 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, and we're studying what they wrote. Why? So that you don't live without joy that never ends. That your joy, our joy, may be complete. He said, I'm telling you what I saw. And I would love to hear John. And the early church got to hear this grandfather. And they would say to him, tell us what it was like to be with Jesus on resurrection morning. Can you picture this? And John would just just close his eyes and just say, oh, let me tell you. He was in the room. Can you imagine the church just gathering around like, whoa. And we were all just a mess and we didn't believe and we thought there was no hope and we watched him die and we had given up hope of everything and people said he's alive and we said whatever and people said no really he's alive and I'm like no it's a ghost and then he was there and I put my hands on his body and I put my hand on his side where the spear went in and they're just listening to him say this word is alive, and he's worth our lives. And we're here 2,000 years later because they told the story. And we keep it closed. And we don't want somebody to think we're strange. And we've got other things more important to do. Let me ask you this question. What is more important than this? What can purchase a man's soul from the from hell that we all deserve? They paid with their life to tell the story. This group, they were quite the group. They examined his body. So now the question comes, okay, we look at the women, they're dumbfounded. The two are discouraged. The 11 are filled with doubt. There's the dream team. There's... There's the birth of Christianity right there. That's the churches, you know. On this wall, oh, there's our dumbfounded women. And over here is the disciples, and they're totally discouraged. No hope. They're out. They're going home. And over here is the 11, and they are just completely filled with doubt. You got anything better to talk about than that? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about what made the difference. It was Jesus. They saw the resurrected Christ. The risen Christ made all the difference. All the difference. They saw Jesus. He's alive. What changed them? Jesus, alive from the dead. The risen king. And Jesus then helps them. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law Of Moses and the prophets and the psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should, here we go again, suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now he adds something to it here, verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses. That word would become synonymous with martyrs. They would give their life. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high wait for it wait for it jesus just reminded them of his teaching remember what i told you uh no all right let me tell you again everything written the old testament who's it all about guys and ladies it's about you jesus now we're getting somewhere jesus opened their understanding He reminded them of his teaching. He opened their understanding. Listen, if the Lord doesn't open your understanding, how will you understand your desperate condition as a sinner and the beautiful Savior that came to die in your place and rise from the dead? Paul would write to the Corinthians that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. The Lord is sovereign in our our minds being opened, our hearts being opened. He gets all the glory for our salvation like hardened ground can't receive the downpour. It has to be open. It has to be ready. It has to receive the rain. That's what the work, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit does. So he opened their understanding. And then he also, he emphasized the gospel. He emphasized the gospel. If he wouldn't have opened their understanding, they wouldn't have heard. And then in verse 46, he goes right back to the gospel. Remember how I told you. He opened their understanding. And then he says, let's go back to basics again. The gospel. What was prophesied about the coming Messiah? Christ should suffer, and he did the sinless in the place of sinners. Christ would rise on the third day from the dead, and he did. He's alive. So he again emphasized the gospel. Then Jesus did something, and he commissioned his disciples. He said, all right, now you know, and now you understand. Now you're going to take this message I'm putting it in your trust, and you're going to take this message to all nations. Doesn't this sound familiar to the message last week? And what drove them out of Jerusalem? Persecution. The very thing that fills most of our prayers, Lord, keep us safe. They flipped that around and said, Lord, use us. Use us. He commissioned, take this eyewitness message Everywhere to everyone. That word preach, proclaim, caruso. Somebody stands and they herald. You can be saved because God made a way. That wasn't just for the pastors. That was for every disciple of Christ. Now, the the question that would come out of this is, how are we going to do this? Well, you can't on your own. So then Jesus promised the coming power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this work of discipleship on your own because it's a work of God. So I'm promising to you the power from on high. The Spirit will come and you need to wait. You need to wait. I promised you that I would be crucified. I promised you that I would rise. I promised you the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will come and you will wait and then you will take this good news to every nation. He promised the coming power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then what did Jesus do? He ascended. He ascended back to heaven and he sent his church on mission until he returns. He left them. Do you see a reoccurring theme? The women went back, told their story. Two disciples went, Jesus is gone. Now, In verses 50 to 53, we see the ascension. So understand, this this is over 40 days encompassed in this one chapter that Luke gives to us of how do we get from resurrection morning to the gospel going globally. And Jesus, verse 50, led them out as far as Bethany. So in Luke's account, it's almost like it's one day, but it's not. He led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them. So now this one's different. And he was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is a very different scene from how this chapter began. It's very radically different than Good Friday. It's drastically different than the night of his betrayal on that Thursday night. He left this powerful and precious mission in the hands of misfits. And they obeyed in the power of the Holy Spirit. They radically obeyed. They waited for the Spirit. And you don't have to wait for a series from Acts. You can read Acts, that Acts 1 picks up, and it's part two of the story. What happened to these misfits when filled with the Holy Spirit? They changed the world, beloved. They changed the world. All glory to God. He blessed them, and they blessed him. Isn't that what should describe our lives as Christians? Is that we understand where where do all blessings come from? God. And what do we do? We bless him and he blesses us and we bless him. Where do our our, our time, our children, our families, our lives, days, resources, wealth, whatever you have, who is it from? It's from the Lord. So we live open-handed. And we bless him, he blesses us, and they are filled with joy. That's where joy. And let me tell you this, this is the only place where this kind of joy is found. Try to grab your life and grab possessions and grab people and control. You can't. You'll lose it all. Lay down your life. Worship Jesus. And you will find a joy and a life that never ends. Because this Savior King came to earth, he died, and he rose again, we can live. And we can live now and forevermore. I want to close with a quote. It's been a while. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It will not come on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. As we think about what changed them, all right, let's put the summary screen on, the, on here, if we can, please. What changed these individuals? All right, there, there's our resume. There's our picture of the, the women, the two, the eleven, and the others that were with them. The, the question answered is, what changed them? It's Jesus, alive from the dead. Now, with that just sitting there, in your mind, listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote as he was writing, in Mere Christianity... During a time of immense skepticism, liberal theologians coming on the scene, downgrading the gospel, downgrading Jesus, downgrading scripture, and listen to what he wrote. He said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a good moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. What is he saying? I just have Jesus over here on the, remember that, ridiculous song I was taught as a child if I had a little box to put Jesus in. Jesus doesn't fit in anybody's box. You can fit a moral teacher in your box. You can fit a guru in your box. You can fit somebody who is is influential for a while in a box, but you can't fit the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in any box because he reigns and he rules And he blesses us, and we bless him. The question is not, is he king? The question is, is he your king? Is he your savior king? If not, today is the day. Lay down your your fight against him. Admit your sin. And did you see how he treated his disciples and how he treated people who were filled with doubt and despair and everything else? He'll love you. He loves you. He died for you. So he can be with you. You can be with him and worship him. And as a believer, you and I, unless Jesus returns, we will face death. But there's no fear in death. Death is only an usher to take a child of God from this life, this prelude to eternity, Directly into the presence of the one that you will see that they saw. Do you know him? If not today, let's stand together. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the cross and thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that we can have a hope that never ends and this hope is found in Jesus. This hope is not found anywhere else. And so, Father, as we gather on this day, this Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice in the goodness and the grace and the mercy extended to us through the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I pray that if someone either here in this place or online has never trusted in you, that today would be their day when they would simply admit their sin to you and they would receive the gift of life, receive the gospel, believe the gospel today. Thank you that you live, and because you live, we too shall live forever and ever and ever. In Jesus' good and powerful name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.